I'm guessing that the government websites, federal federal government websites, state government websites are probably more compliant than most other websites. Um, that may not be accurate, but let's assume for the moment it is. They also tend to be the most boring websites, the ones that are kind of challenging for a typical human to navigate to find what they're looking for, although it may be compliant. Any comments or thoughts on the look and feel of those particular websites and whether they're even compliant or not? They may not be. I'm just making that leap. I, I don't know. I have not personally audited a court or a state court, a state website or a federal based website. Um, I have heard chatter, you know, for example, a client may test a court system and say the court system, court's website's not even compliant either. Um, but it would be speculation. I just haven't done it firsthand. I've never had a need to. Um, uh, I do know that in California, there was a rule that all state websites do need to be WCAG compliant by a certain time, which I believe is passed now. I don't know how far the state of California got or what parameters they were using or measuring tools, but I do know at one point there was a push for at least California state uh, court related website, uh, state, not court, but state administrative website mm -hmm. to be WCAG compliant. So at one point in time, the state of California certainly thought that they should be WCAG compliant, whether they got there and how to measure it, of course, is up to question. Let's talk a little bit about an anatomy of a lawsuit of an ADA accessibility, uh, online accessibility lawsuit. So let's assume that the practice has a website up and running and they've received a demand letter or perhaps even a summons from one of these tester uh, plaintiffs and probably helpful to talk about what is a tester plaintiff. What happens next in your experience? What should a physician expect as a next step? Sure, so if, if you are targeted with one of these types of lawsuits, um, chances are you'll get an email from me you know, a week or two after that happens because our, our library and marketing team has, has now been trained to sort of watch for these lawsuits. And so we're in, we're obviously very much in the space. Um, I believe uh, a vendor confirmed this, but I believe our team at Denton's was hired more than any other law firm in 2020 to handle these types of digital accessibility lawsuits. And that's partially in part because I think we do good work, but it's also because we do a lot of re reaching out and monitoring of the filing of these cases. Um, but if someone is, is sued, you know, the basic instruction is you, you should retain legal counsel. If you work with us, for example, we're very um, big on the risk management, risk, risk reduction exercises. And so we'll typically start with a audit and review of a client's website. And we want to very, we want to move very, very quickly uh, to, to make some changes and get it updated. Um, that's in part because, you know, we want to we want to flag and highlight the accessibility of a website, um, even if it's even if it's got litigation pending against it. But we also want to be careful of copycat claims. We tend to believe that, you know, like I said, 30 or four, 30 or 40 different law firms out there. I think that they tend to copy each other because they are also reviewing the filings and are aware of different targets to go after. And so because I do see a pattern. Um, repeat cases against different businesses. We're very mindful that not only do we want to fix the website for the short term, but we also want to fix it for longer term deterrence purposes. And so that's the first step is get the website updated. Like I said, some of the suggestions we make are very quick and easy. Some of them might be a little more involved, but we'll help a client navigate that. 
And then once that's done, we'll reach out to the opposing counsel and and uh, and plead our case. You know, a lot of clients, this is all, of course, about money. And so they, they want to find out the cheapest way to get out of these lawsuits. So a lot mm -hmm. of times um, we can either try to negotiate and get the case withdrawn or dismissed for free, which we have a decent track record of doing. Um, usually most cases, however, probably at least half our cases or more end up settling uh, for a nominal amount, which we have basically negotiated down over time. And of course, because our team specifically has handled some of these cases, the other, I suppose, value um, is that we have a lot of the materials already prepared. We already have a war chest of different documents. We've seen a lot of scenarios. And so it makes us a little bit more nimble, a little bit more cost effective when we're able to recycle prior uh, work and experience on these matters. And so generally speaking, we get the website fixed and then we try to figure out how to get the case dismissed or get it settled for as little as possible. That's where most of the cases go. There are probably 5% uh, of clients that do want to litigate these cases. And so certainly we have a lot of experience litigating as well. Sometimes that involves conducting discovery, you know, where you're exchanging information with the other side. You can take a deposition, for example. Uh, it also could involve early stage attacks on the complaint where we'll do a motion to dismiss and try to get the case dismissed, which we do have, again, a decent track record of winning on. Um, it just depends on the client's risk tolerance and kind of the strategy we agree on. But regardless of where the lawsuit goes, almost always the first step is to get the website updated. Whether you're going to settle or scare them away or litigate, we want to make sure we've got a strong website. And in terms of the dollar value of these cases, I'm sure they vary, but um, we've certainly seen copyright claims, you know, a different domain where initially somebody will um, file a file a claim with a physician's office saying give us $2,500 for a breach of copyright which or we'll sue you and that that's something that nobody likes to swallow but it'll go down and you can certainly make a financial case for doing it compared to somebody who says you uh, you stole a, a picture from my website and I need $100,000 to settle this in which case that's never going down um, I mean there's a vast difference between $2,500 and $100,000 um, in your experience, what, what range are you seeing for physician um, practices in terms of getting this settled? And I, and I say range because I'm sure they're all different depending upon each each website and perhaps the how deep the pockets are for the individual practice. Yes, it does vary widely. And, you know, obviously any, any past settlements will be confidential. Mm -hmm. um, and it varies law firm by law firm. It varies, you know, by plaintiff. It varies by business. Um, I would say that that normally um, this is in the five figures. I would say zero to twenty-five thousand dollars is sort of the range of, of of where a settlement might be, and I think opening demands could be anywhere from zero to seventy-five thousand dollars. And so you might get a demand for eighty, fifty, twenty-five. You know, anywhere in that range, it could happen. Um, some law firms, you know, sometimes we'll get settled. It's settled regularly, you know, for zero. Sometimes we get it done for four figures. Sometimes it's going to end up being in the, in the low five figures. But that's sort of the range if that's uh, vague but clear enough in terms of what the cost is. Um, and then, of course, there's our legal fees on top, which we think are efficient, but there is still some legal fees involved. In your experience, is there an insurance solution for this? Do doctors or businesses have any type of policies that they can tap into either for the legal fees for defense or for settlement or both? Do they it's exist? possible. Yeah, they do exist. I have seen um, uh, clients that have coverage out there. 
normally if you want to try the insurance route, you know, you talk to your broker if you have one, you talk to your insurance carrier and uh and submit the claim. Um most I would say most of the time people do not have insurance for this, but there is some people, you know, that we do see regularly having coverage. I don't know the type of coverage they have. It could be some type of internet related uh coverage or something along those lines. Um that's the first question. Do you have insurance and, and is it going to cover the claim? And then I think the other question you have to ask yourself is what is my deductible? Mm-hmm. Um you know, based on the vague numbers I gave you just now. If you know if you're under if you've got a twenty five thousand dollar deductible or more, chances are you may not need to invoke insurance coverage, or it may not make sense financially to do it because you can settle on your own for less than that. Um, uh, that's the one consideration. The other consideration is you know whether you have a choice of law firm. Some carriers will allow you to pick your law firm. Some carriers will will give you a designated law firm, and then understanding whether that law firm has the capability to actually scan and update your website or are they just simply paying a settlement out? And so those are all strategic considerations, but with insurance, I would first figure out if you have it or not, I would consider what your deductible is, and then I would make sure that the law firm that's being, if you are using insurance, to make sure the law firm either gets you to a developer or has some capability to advise you on the compliance part of it. Otherwise, you know, if you're just paying out settlements or getting, a, getting rid of a nuisance litigation quickly, you're leaving yourself open for the attack of copycat claims. And, and I've seen that happen to businesses. One of the other strategic considerations related to litigation is that if you settle a case, the question is, is does the law firm have yet another plaintiff that's out there waiting to see that you settled the case with this plaintiff and yet there are two, three, five others uh, waiting in the seams to, um, you know, to go at you one more round, meaning that they've already accessed your website and just testing you to see whether you'll make a payment, what that payment will look like. And, uh, oh, by the way, we've got three, four, five more. Um, that's one of the considerations. But you I mean you've you've been um, working, negotiating, settling with these firms. It's first of all, is that fear a real fear? Fear does it take place? And there are way and are there ways to potentially mitigate that? If that makes uh, sense, it, does that question it, make it, sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It, you know, the idea is if I if I pay off one of these law firms, I'm going to get three more in the next month. Do they see that? Um, without going into sort of our normal internal strategy, I think what we have done is found a way to minimize that impact. Um, it's a combination of uh, uh, obviously making sure your website's compliant. It all starts mm-hmm. from there. So making sure that's done first and foremost, that you're cutting off any claims. And then to the extent that you are going to settle a claim to make sure that you are doing everything you can to make sure that that settlement and the existence of that settlement is confidential. And mm-hmm. so if you've, got, uh, if you've got a good lawyer who can figure those things out, I think you minimize any publicity about whether you settled or not. That's the right way to handle it. There's also language in your settlement agreement that you can think about, you know, beyond just confidentiality to sort of block these law firms in the future. And so those are all things, you know, that's sort of some of our secret sauce, the things that we've done to minimize um, uh, any further publicity of these lawsuits, even if we're going to settle it. So basically settle in a safe and discreet manner. Um, it's important to think about how to figure out how to do that. It's not the type of thing you'd want to do on your own with Zoom legal is what you're getting at, among other things. Yeah, or even with an unqualified law firm. <laughs> yeah, well, and but I repeat myself there. <laughs> um yes. Couple other questions uh, before we wrap up. I know that there are widgets that are out there, um, which are overlays, which go onto your website uh, to um, 
create some of the functionality that, or mimic some of the functionality that you'd otherwise get by just designing their website properly. It's an overlay and it's cheap. So I, I can see some of the attraction. I know that some in the disabled community have suggested it actually makes their lives a little bit harder. Some, some will say that, some will say, um, if they're not using existing infrastructure, that maybe it does make it a little bit easier. Um, any comments or thoughts on using uh, using these widgets as one and done, or it should be something that's part of a more holistic discussion? I think the latter of what you just said is is what our position is: is that they are they can be helpful, but they need to be used in the context of a broader plan. They can't just be used as your only line of defense. And uh, we regularly see clients with you know who've just slapped a widget on their website, and that's definitely not enough to stop them from getting sued uh, and chased by these law firms. And so um, what I'll say is that you know given, as I mentioned before, there have been thousands, tens of thousands of these lawsuits over there now probably half a decade. In the wake of those lawsuits, you've seen lots of different scanning tools, you've seen lots of different widgets and and cottage industry firms that deal with these these types of issues. Um, and so of the so what I'll say is that there are certain reports that I think are helpful, scanning reports, and there are certain widgets and plugins that I think are very helpful too, based on the way they impact a website. And it's not so much just adding a um, uh, toolbar to the website, which a lot of these widgets and plugins do. Uh, you know, sometimes they'll have a toolbar where you can manually manipulate the way the website looks. There's a couple mm -hmm. of companies doing that. I think that there are some that are better than others, and I also think that some of those companies uh, have an overlay of coding that gets picked up by some of these scanning tools that is, a, is beneficial as well. So I like to use them, but I like to use them for more specific purposes, not just as my, you know, you know one-stop fix, if that makes sense. Makes complete sense. So as we wrap up, what is your global advice to physician practices that have an existing website who have fortunately not been sued yet, who may or may not live out on the West Coast. I mean, it sounds like the issue is relevant to everyone in the United States. And even though even though some of the law has not been favorable on the West Coast, you shouldn't feel particularly immune being living anywhere else. So what is your advice to people who have yet to be sued? Right. Um, well, my general advice is if you are a business, and you have a website, if you have a mobile application, if you have videos on your website, you should be reaching out. You're welcome to contact us directly at Dentons, um, but you know, not, not necessarily. You can contact your web developer, you can contact someone who is qualified in digital accessibility to be thinking about ways to document and confirm that your website is accessible. Because at this moment in time, what I tell our clients is that it's not really a question of if, it's when you're gonna be targeted by these law firms. Um, like I said before, they have an interesting moment in, in where we are legally and with compliance. And so from my view, I see uh, new law firms on a weekly basis all trying to get into this market and file as many cases as they can. Uh, because for now, they are getting settlements and they are making money by doing this. And so there is a threat for all businesses. Um, so certainly we're happy to help you know, guide clients on those issues, whether they've been sued or not. Uh, whether they receive a demand letter or not, but they should be thinking about digital accessibility. And then I would say that's especially true if you are on the West Coast and you are a doctor, you know, plastic surgeon, dentist, um, uh, anyone who's doing procedures, 
And if you have a video on your website, you should be uh, uh, very, very careful because there is, uh, for example, now a law firm that is specifically targeting West Coast-based doctors who have video footage on their website. And so if you've got videos, then we should definitely talk and you should be thinking about ways that you can enable closed captioning to prevent yourself from being a target because they're, that's, that's something that we're seeing actively happening right now. And final thoughts or final advice, if you have received a summons, if you have been sued, what should be the go-to next step? Yeah, I mean, it, look, if you get sued, you gotta hire a lawyer. That's the smartest thing to do. If you've got the resources, you should get in touch with legal counsel and figure out you know, what to do about compliance and how to navigate the lawsuit. Um, you know, people, you can, always, you can always appear if someone's been personally sued, pro se, in, in court. Although the old saying is that, you know, if you represent yourself, you got a fool for a client. But if you are a business, you have to retain a lawyer by definition. You know, by, by the rules, you have to hire a lawyer. And so if you get a summons, I would retain legal counsel and then figure out what your options are. Nick, you've been extremely generous with your time today. How do people get in touch with you? What's your contact information, the website? We'll put this in the show notes, but also let's include it in the audio. Yeah, certainly. I'm easy to find. If you just Google Nick Puji, P as in Peter, U-J-J-I, uh, typically the first link you'll get is my law firm bio, which will have my phone number uh, and email address. My email address is nick.puji at dentons.com. D-E-N-T-O-N-S is the law firm. Um, if you Google me, you also see a bunch of photos of my wedding and of course other stuff on there as well, but, <laughs> but, uh, but, but that's the easiest way to get in touch with me. Send me an email or give me a call, look me up and, uh, and we're happy to, happy to, happy to be helpful to, to anyone who reaches out. Um, as I mentioned before, if somebody gets sued with one of these digital accessibility cases, chances are they'll probably get an email from me. Um, uh, we do our best to email people and let them know right away. Uh, but within a week or two, you'll typically get an email from me as well. And for physicians who have been sued, just remember the clock is ticking. You do need to file a response or take some type of action within a narrow window of time. It's not unlimited. So just pay attention to the clock. That's correct. Normally, the way it works is a lawsuit gets filed in court, and that's when I become aware of it. Uh, uh, but uh, so, someone who's been sued is typically not aware until they've actually been served with a complaint. And that can get a little dicey. Sometimes they're aware of the service, sometimes they're not. From service, you typically have somewhere between 21 to 30 days to respond, depending on the court. Nick, a thousand thanks. I appreciate you joining us today, and thanks for being a resource for our physicians and dentists. You got it, Jeff. Thanks for having me. And with that, we're at the end of our broadcast. Thanks for joining us. In closing, a few messages. If you're an existing member of medical or dental justice, and you find yourself on the receiving end of a medical legal threat, please contact us at 1-877-MEDJUST. That's 1-877-MEDJUST or 633-5878. Our STAT hotline is a service offered to all current members. It's designed to get your urgent medical legal questions answered ASAP. Members can also access a plethora of exclusive medical legal resources by logging into their members-only page, which can be accessed by our website, medicaljustice.com. Now, we want to protect as many doctors as possible. If one of your colleagues is in trouble, please refer him. When a current member of Medical Justice refers a colleague and that colleague becomes a member, you both receive a month of free protection. To refer a colleague, write to us at infonews, that's I-N, Epizen Frank O, news, 
at medicaljustice.com. That's infonews at medicaljustice.com. Now, if you're not an existing member of medical or dental justice, but want to bulletproof your practice from medical legal threats, our admin, Wendy Cates, is your best resource for information about our protection plans, implementation best practices, and pricing models. Wendy can be reached directly at 336-358-5587. We offer discounts for large groups and protect doctors of all specialties in all states. Now, before we close, one last request. If you enjoyed this episode, please write a review on your preferred podcast provider and share our podcast with your colleagues. Reviews help maintain our podcast visibility, which in turn helps us reach a broader audience. This helps us protect more doctors. Thank you for joining us this week. We hope you'll join us on the next episode of the Medical Liability Minute.